Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles. Psalm 85. <clears throat> Psalm 85. I want to share with you, I've been, I don't know if any of you have seen, I'm trying to do something uh, daily on social media just to be an encouragement to campers and people that follow, follow um, Southland, but also in a, in a very um, stressful crisis time in our country, in our world. I mean, it really is a time for us to seek God. It is not a time for us to settle in quarantine ourselves away from people, but it actually ought to be, we ought to be seeking aggressively to utilize what God is allowing, what God is um, overseeing, and use it for the benefit of encouraging people in the Lord, sharing the gospel. And I want to encourage you guys to do that best you can. Um, you know, I obviously, we're supposed to be keeping our social distance, so we're not like going out door knocking right now, <laughs> you know, but, uh, or, or uh, really doing much of anything as far as interaction. But what a good time for like social media and opportunity to encourage people in the Lord. And so that's what we're seeking to do with, with um, you know, Southland social media. Some of you probably seen that. It might get old to you, but it's, you know, it's okay, right? I hope you encur encourage you to watch, watch those once in a while. I'll try to make them about five minutes or um, the ones on Instagram can't be five minutes. I do those as one minute, but... I guess it could be five minutes if I recorded them and put them on there. But um, any of you watched some of those? Okay, they are for you too. You know, you guys, you feel free to watch those. I encourage you to watch those. They'll take you five minutes and then pass them on. All right, because the goal of that is spread it out. And try to put the gospel in there. So as I've been studying, I came across this passage in Psalm eighty-five that I want to share with you today. And we're praying for you guys as you get back into the swing of things and, and as we all kind of endure this, this big world crisis together and we kind of walk day by day and just see the changes that are, that are taking place in our world, um, it's, it's really encouraging to know that our God does not change. In Psalm 85, we have a situation taking place. Most, most Bible scholars believe that David is the author of the psalm, but you, you'll see at the very beginning it says God's past mercies. That's the heading that I have in my Bible and then it says, to the chief musician, a psalm for the sons of Korah. Most, uh, most Bible scholars believe that the sons of Korah, now Korah does not have a good history. You remember Korah was the one who led the rebellion against uh, Israel and the earth opened up and swallowed him up. <laughs> That's not a very good history for Korah himself. But the sons of Korah were actually of the tribe of Levi and, and there are actually many psalms that are written and have a title a psalm for the son, for the sons of Korah. Most Bible scholars believe that those were the the men who were leading the worship, and most uh, most likely the uh, musicians who were leading the worship for the children of Israel. So probable that this this psalm was literally a song. It was a song that was sung by the people. And I want you to look down 
for the theme of, of, of this in verse 9, and then we're going to go kind of verse by verse to just talk through this as it relates to you and me, as it relates to the crisis in which we're in in our world, and, and really the, the desire that we ought to have in all of our hearts, and it's summed up in the theme and the title of the message, which is verse, verse number 9 at the, the second half. And here's the phrase, that glory may dwell in our land. Would you say that with me? That glory may dwell in our land. This is the theme, I believe, of this text, that God is intending in all that he does that his glory would be made evident in the land. If you go to the New Testament, you understand, and I understand as well, that the purpose of our existence and life individually is that God would be glorified, right? Right? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What know you not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which belong to God. All right, you were created for the glory of God. You were redeemed by the, for the glory of God. And by right of creation and by right of redemption, your individual purpose of life is that glory may dwell in the land. We all under, I hope you understand that. And the whole purpose of the Bible is that you would come to understand how you can come to know Christ for all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. So it's very obvious through the scripture. Sin creates a problem in the, in the desire of God for every creation, every part of his creation, human creation. And sin is the problem that hinders the glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But how many of you are glad this morning that when sin abounded, grace abounded much more, and that we can know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And what we just saw in 1 Corinthians 6 is that we can properly glorify God. This is an incredible thought for us individually today, is that you and I can individually, through the grace of God and the power of God, come to an understanding through the Word of God and by the Spirit of God how we can glorify God every single day of our lives. That's God's desire for you individually and for me individually. But guess what? It's not just his desire for us individually. It's his desire for all nations, for everything that takes place in the world. You might remember uh, passages about God's creation, that God created even his creation to glorify him. The heavens declare the glory of God. This theme of the glory of God is the theme of all the universe. It's the theme of God. He wants himself to be displayed, that glory may dwell in the land. Now, when it says to glorify God, it means to give the right opinion of the excellent character of God. And all that God has created, its intent, is that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is exactly what the text is talking about here. And what the song is about is that God would be glorified in our land. Now, when you think about What's going on in our world right now? Isn't that our prayer as Christians? It should be our prayers as Christians. Look, Lord, if this is what we need in our world to turn people back to you, that glory may dwell in this land, that Christ would be seen and that people would be saved and that Christians would uh, surrender that and repent and turn back to God. Boy, whatever it takes, God. I've prayed for years. Whatever it takes, God, send revival to America. Send revival to my own heart. Send revival to Christianity. And I think what we see in, is another opportunity that God is giving in his mercy an opportunity for people to turn back to him. We've seen it in smaller ways. 
not less significant, 9-11. 9-11 in our country was an opportunity that God gave. Did God orchestrate that? No, but he allowed it. I'm not saying that God intentionally, you know, sends those planes and gets those Muslims to fly those airplanes. And that's but what he does is he allows it for his purposes. Is it always judgment? I'm not saying that every trial that comes into our lives and every trial that comes to the world and to America, every hurricane is the judgment of God. Every earthquake is because God's mad at the world. No, no, no. I'm not saying that, but there is a sense in which what God does, he does on purpose. What he allows, he allows on purpose to turn people to back, back to him. And it, wasn't it amazing? You guys might remember this. You were very young in 9-11. But uh, it's pretty amazing how all of a sudden, when things of crisis and turbulence and death start to happen, one, everybody panics, and two, everybody prays. All of a sudden, pray for America, wave the flag, let's, let's all gather together and pray. They're like, wait, we can't even pray in our public schools and you're going to publicly tell everybody to pray? It's pretty inconsistent, isn't it? And what we do need to pray for and what we need to really... Um, ask God to do is to bring the glory into the land. Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven, then will I forgive their sins, then will I what? Heal their land. I just, I just have this, this feeling that God is doing something way bigger than what we can even imagine with this whole coronavirus thing. And we need to just pray and beg God to bring forth his salvation, to turn people back to him across this world. So I want to look at that from, from this perspective today and, and ask yourself, do you need to bring back the glory into your life? Hey, we just came off a of spring break. Did, did you please God with your life? Is there an area of sin that you need to turn, turn away from? As we go through this text, this is not just for our nation. It's, the nation is made up of individuals. And I want to ask you if you would consider this as an individual pursuit as well, that glory would be seen out of your life. All right, so the first thing I want you to see, if you're taking notes, number one is the past history that he references. He reflects on the past in verses one through three when he says, Lord, thou hast, notice how many times he uses the word hast. Past in our English, we understand, is a past, um, um, I can't think of the right word right now, but it's, it's a word that describes the past, right? Thou hast been favorable unto the, thy, thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Notice verse two. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered, these are all past statements. Verse three, thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thy anger. He reflects on the past history. Now, I want us to think about this from an individual standpoint. Two areas that he particularly, particularly refers to is the past favor of God, and the past forgiveness of God. You see that there? Thou hast been favorable, thou hast forgiven. And then verse three, uh, talking about taking away his wrath has to do with his forgiveness, that he's withheld his wrath. I want, I want to know, has God been favorable to you in the past? I, I would think that all of us would say a hearty amen to that, right? Not that you have to physically say that, but in your heart, you're like, man, God has really been good to us, hasn't he? I mean, think of all the good things. We, we are so prone to think of all the bad things and be negative. And well, Think about all the good things that God has done for you. The past favor of God 
all, is, is what helps us have confidence for the present difficulty that we're facing, which we're going to get to in just a second. Has God forgiven your iniquity? As far as the east is from the west, so far as you remove my transgression from him. The Bible says that through his blood, our, we have forgiveness of sins. We're cleansed. We're made whiter than snow. Our heart was dark with sin until Jesus came, came within. His precious blood, I know, has washed me white as snow. Hallelujah for that. Uh, we need to remember what God has done for us. God hasn't forgotten us. God hasn't left us alone. His favor is not removed just because there's a crisis going on in our world. No, we need to remember the past history. And this is, again, to the children of Israel. Think about all the things that they had experienced in the past. Most, most believe that this is probably during the time of wandering that this psalm uh, would have been used in, in their worship. Had they not seen God be, be favorable, favorable to them when coming out of Egypt? Had they not seen God? We talked about this with Caleb a few weeks ago. Uh, actually, it was about a week, week and a half ago when, when I talked to you about Caleb. Boy, they, they forgot what God had done, right? They forgot that the Red Sea had parted. They forgot about the plagues. They forgot about the Passover. They forgot about how God brought them and delivered them out of Egypt. And he said, boy, remember, remember the favor of God. Remember the forgiveness of God. And so number one is the, the past history. Number two, I want you to notice the present hysteria. And I, like, I, I chose that word because of what's going on in our crisis. I mean, it's hysteria, isn't it? I mean, people are panicked. People are, look, more people die from other things than the coronavirus, right? More people die from the flu every year. And I understand that. More people die from drunk driving every year than have, have died from this. I, I get why we need to do social distancing. I, I agree with it. I, let's limit the deaths as much as possible. And in unknown, the unknowns are what has created this hysteria. There's so much unknown. And we should have a president and leadership teams that are seeking to do all they can to help protect people from dying. I appreciate that. I appreciate the ethical choice to choose to protect lives over protecting the economy. I, I really appreciate that. At some point, our, our world's got to get back to normal. I, I, I think we all would agree. But it's been proven that if we social distance ourselves and we, and we, and we uh, try, to, try to stay clear of coughing on one another or whatever it is, that it's proven that, 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 that it limits the pandemic. I mean, I, I saw one report of a guy who said this pandemic if not controlled by social distancing, could could affect over 50% of the world's population. And at a death rate of you know between one and three percent, that's not good news. So we ought to do what we can. We ought to learn from like places over in Asia that have done pretty well, like um, like Hong Kong. That is, but I, I won't even tell you how how I think it's been it's been a long time that they've been in quarantine and, and they've locked their doors and kept kept away from one another. So all, all I'm saying is that uh, the hysteria, I'm not saying that hysteria is always wrong. There's times where we, in our human understanding, are going to be overwhelmed. And that's what happens here in this text. Look, verse 4, turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger towards us to cease. If you study it out, that verse, in Israel's history, there was something happening that was, that was actually pretty dramatic. There was something happened. Bible scholars don't know exactly which reference to this, this um, whether it's uh, something happening happening to um, the whole body, the whole nation, or whether it's isolated. We don't really know exactly, but we know there's some form of pretty big thing happening that's creating a sense of 
urgency and hysteria. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? They thought it was from God. They thought it was intentionally God judging them. He says, wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? In other words, when is this ever going to cease? Is this going to go into the future? Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? It's a great verse. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. There is a clear and present hysteria that is causing them to get a sense of their God again, to turn back to God. And the psalmist is writing a song, and the intent of of this hysteria is what verse 6 says. The purpose of the hysteria is that God would revive his people that he, they would rejoice. So revival and rejoicing, revival and rejoicing is what this hysteria should point us to. Turn back to God. Man, if God can allow a tiny little germ to create this kind of pandemonium across the world, what's the end times going to be like? I'm glad I'm going to be gone, right? <laughs> I'm glad I'm going to be with the Lord. I can't wait for that day. But it ought to turn his people back to him. There ought to be more prayer. There ought to be more time in the world. Maybe, just maybe, God is wanting this isolation time to get us to spend more time with him, to get us to read more of the scripture, to get us to pray more, to get us to be with our families and worship more. We ought to take advantage of the reviving work, the rebirth, the new thing, that God is trying to do. And I'm praying specifically for our country, for our leadership, and for people in places that are, that are in leadership that are Christians, that they would sense that reviving work. We need to pray for specifically for our vice president, who is definitely a born-again believer. We need to pray that our president gets truly saved. Then what a blessing that would be if he would truly get saved and turn people to, to God. Look, I believe we have an opportunity in this present hysteria to see God work, to turn people back to him. And that was the prayer in this text, in their present scenario, in their present hysteria. Notice number three, the predicted help. The predicted help. Help is close at hand. It's always available. God is not leaving us alone. The same God who allows things like what we're experiencing and allowed the things that the children of Israel were experiencing is the same God who's, who's ready to hold your hand through it, care for you through the difficulty, watch over your nation, point you back to him. There is help. And I want to focus on this for just a second in verses eight and nine. I will hear what God, the Lord will speak. Help only comes number one to those who hear what God will speak. Don't you dare think that God's going to help this nation if it keeps turning away from him. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. This is a country that was founded upon God, founded upon the word, founded upon Christian principles. It was emphatically a Christian nation. It, and we have left our moorings. And I believe God is even u- using this, yes, worldwide, but nationally to try to open our eyes and get, get attention back to what's important. You notice how people are just the hysteria about the economy and about their businesses and about money and finances. But the hysteria ought to be about their soul. That's where the hysteria ought to be about. That's where the panic should be setting in, that people would turn to God in their soul and that they would receive him. But I want to ask you, what do you do in the time of difficulty? 
not necessarily just this pandemic, but when you're struggling, when you're emotionally down, when you're m- m- mentally just not feeling right, when you're, when you're going through a trial or a struggle, or that could be something small or something big, doesn't matter. Are you hearing what God is saying? Are you trusting in the promises of God? Are you deliberately going to the word of God? We hear from God and what the Lord speaks from the word of God, don't we? And the word, the, the word of God is crucial for our lives every single day. Can I encourage you in the, in, in the midst of this national worldwide pandemic that you would turn back and hear the voice of God again? Speak, Lord, for thy servant here. Lord, what do you want me to do? And just continue to let God speak to you. We, we have to hear the voice of God if we want to have help. We want to, the God of heaven to hear um, and, and to hear our prayer then we have to go to his word. So he says, I will hear what the Lord will speak for he will speak peace unto his people. What, what is he sp- speaking? Peace. What we can count on is he doesn't want us to panic. He wants to bring peace. And out of this panic, if people turn to him, if their lives are stayed upon Jehovah, perfect peace will come to them. Isaiah 26, three and four, that will keep him in perfect peace. whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Look, people need to turn back to God and listen to him. That's where peace will come from. And God wants to bring you that peace. So so first of all, we need to hear the voice of God that's speaking peace. Rest in his peace. Second of all, he says, turn again, turn away from folly. He says, but let them not turn again to folly. So the second point is, if you're going to actually have the help of God, then turn away from your folly. Turn away from your folly. The word folly here is a combination of foolishness and wickedness. One has said it this way, tendency to forget the times of judgment and the way it changed us will cause us to drift into apathy. So we can live in folly and not even, not even, even allow the judgment of God to affect us the way it needs to. The judgment of God, the chastisement of God in our life is a good thing. So anytime the, the judgment of God or the chastisement of God comes into our life, we need to turn from our folly. John 5 verse 14 says, sin no more lest a worse thing come unto thee. I do believe that God gives opportunity. God brings his chastisement. God brings judgment. And the more we just say no to it, the more we stiff arm it, the more bad things are going to happen to us. The judgment continues to fall. The judgment continues to fall. The judgment continues to fall. It just makes sense that the God who holds the whole universe in his hand ought to get our response when he judges us and chastises us when we know we've, we've fallen and failed. I, I wonder, what, what is it going to take to wake up America? What is it going to take to wake up the world? I mean, this is a pretty significant thing that's happening, and you would think, you would think that people would start to wake up to the truth of God. But if they don't, God might do a worse thing, and we can expect that in our lives. The judgment of God is actually a blessing, and just welcome the chastisement. Welcome God into your world to help you overcome sin. Turn over, turn away from folly, willingness to turn for folly, foolishness, and, and wickedness. Notice the next phrase. He says, to, uh, "Turn, let them not turn again to folly." Surely His salvation is nigh them that fear Him. So, number three, you must fear the Lord. Excuse me. Better sanitize the pulpit after that. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. 
Do you think our nation right now stands at a place where it fears God? The answer is no. The God is sending this hysteria, this pandemic, this way his, in his mercy to point people back to a fear of him, to stand in awe of who he is, what he has done, and respond. Boy, a study on the fear of God in your life would be a great study. Do you genuinely fear God? There is a sense in which that awe causes us, in our human understanding of the word fear, it's like, ah, like scared fear. There is a sense of that. I'm not saying that we should always be scared of God, but there's a sense of, whoa, he can do anything he wants to do. He could take me down. He can, the Bible says he could take up, uh, sets up kings and takes down kings. A nation is a drop in the bucket to him. I mean, that's pretty small. We need to stand in awe of who God is. And he says very clearly here, that is a part of how we let the glory dwell in the land. This is where the help comes. Surely his salvation will come to those people that fear the Lord. I'm praying that our country would, would wake up to an awe of who God is, an understanding of who Jesus is. Salvation comes to those who understand the simplicity of Christ, God's Son who came to this world to die for their sins. And this is so, so clear in this text that this is the hysteria, the help for the hysteria. And that is when we hear God, when we turn from folly, so we obey, we hear and obey him, we turn from our wickedness, we turn from our sin, and we, uh, we sincerely fear God in our soul. And then I want you to notice finally the promise honored. Verses 10 through 13. Very clearly help us see that God answers his promise. Notice verse 10. Well, we finish with that phrase, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. There's, there's two twins, if you want to say it that way. Two sets of twins here. Mercy and truth and righteousness and peace. You see that? Mercy and truth are met together. They come together. When you, when you uh, turn from your folly, when you fear God, when you listen and obey and hear his voice, then mercy and truth are coming together in your life. There's a blessed combination of the mercy and truth. See, if we just had truth, then we'd all be on our way to hell, right? Because the truth is every one of us deserve that. Aren't you glad that mercy comes with that? This is the balance of, of a good justice system, by the way a balance of mercy and truth, okay? The truth is all of us are sinners, all the wages of sin is death, we all deserve hell. But when we obey God, we turn to his truth, we fear him, we confess and repent of our sin, the mercy and truth come together. And God is full of mercy. I'm so thankful he is, because if not, we'd all be in hell. And mercy and truth come together for salvation of a sinner's soul. But mercy and truth come together for each of our individual Christian walks as well as we obey God. Then you'll walk in truth. You'll have the mercy of God. You'll, and then second of all, you'll have righteousness and peace. And he uses the phrase, have kissed each other. It's an interesting phrase. When a husband and a wife kiss, they come together. Righteousness and peace come together. The only way, road to peace is through righteousness. And the absence of conflict isn't, conflict isn't necessary that peace. doesn't mean that if, if I'm a Christian, I'll always, 
Um, it's always going to be very smooth sailing for me. No, because even when we go through trials, we can have peace. But righteousness and peace come together and, and they, they kiss one another. Truth shall spring out of the earth, verse 11. Boy, this is what I'm praying for right now. That truth would spring out of the earth, that the word of God would be propagated, that the people of God would be bold, that this would be a time across the world with missionaries and ministry leaders and pastors and, and even our political leaders that are truly born-again uh, Christians, that truth would spring out of the earth during this time of hysteria that we would sense the promised help of God, we'd, we'd say, wow, look what God is doing. Truth will spring out of the earth. Righteousness shall look down from heaven. That's a, a reference to Jesus Christ and God in his righteousness, looking down and overseeing what's going on in, in, in our lives and in the world. Boy, that's a that's tremendous promise that, that God gives. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield increase. Righteousness shall go before him and, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Some really great promises. Mercy and truth, righteousness and peace, truth springing out of the earth. Righteousness looks down from heaven. He gives us what is good. God is always good. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly, which is the psalm right before this, verse 11 and 12 of Psalm 84. God is a guide. God is uh, leading us. As a son, he is a guard. He's guarding us as a shield. He will give good things to his people. His promise is sure. He does what is good. He yields an increase in a financial market. An increase is always good. You want interest paid back on your, your investment. God yields an increase, dividends on your investment when, it's, when you hear his word, turn from folly, and walk in, in the fear of the Lord. And then this, this paves the way for his coming. When it says, uh, yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, our land shall yield his increase, righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the ways of his step. This is paving the way for his coming. Uh, you can't help but see that with what's going on in the world. His coming would have the effect of turning people to the paths of righteousness and truth. The designed effect of all of what God is doing is to turn people to his glory. And what we know is going on in this, what we see and, and know is going on in this world, we can understand from a Bible perspective that God is doing that so that he can fulfill a promise to those who turn to him and that his glory may dwell in our land. So here's my questions for you today. Have you forgotten the favor and forgiveness of God, what he's done for you personally? Are you resting in the promises of God that have been delivered in the past. Now we can't live in the past. We can't, we can set up memories of the past. We can think about, reflect upon all that God has done, but we got to move forward forgetting, th forgetting those things which are behind reaching forth into that, which is before. But I believe it's important that we understand God, what God has done in the past, he's still doing today. Are you caught up in this present hysteria are you uh, wanting God to revive your heart and, and cause you to rejoice in him through this time of, of difficulty, through, through whatever it is in your own life? Are you listening to the predicted or going the way of the predicted help, which is hearing and obeying the word of God, turning from your, your folly, your foolishness and wickedness, not living apathetic lives, but fearing God day in and day out? If you do, God honors his promise. He'll give you mercy and truth, righteousness and peace. He'll tr uh, cause truth to spring from um, your life. Righteousness will look down from heaven. He'll give you that which is good. That sounds all good, doesn't it? It sounds like a blessing. 
And I believe God can do this in our hearts individually so that his glory may be seen. But I believe he can do it in our nation. And yes, even in our world. I'm praying specifically that God will revive that. Uh, what, what verse, uh, let's see, what verse 6 says, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? And the revival we need is that glory may dwell in the land. The glory of God may come back to this land. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in His grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in Him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.